Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Today on the Everything 80s podcast, how the skip it led to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Hey guys, what's happening? Welcome back to the Everything 80s Podcast. I'm Jamie, and today we have uh, what a topic which sounds like an odd connection, but you'll see how they are very much connected, and it's kind of a two-in-one episode as we're talking about a beloved 80s toy in the Skip It, and then the whole creation and expansion of the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe, and Marvel Comics, and everything to do with Marvel in general. So we'll get right to it in a sec. But here's the usual, you know, before we start, make sure you subscribe wherever you find your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever you find them, I should be there. Okay, let's do this. So many simple toys have come and gone over the years, but in the 80s, a reimagined skipping toy became a huge fad and would pave the way for the MCU. So in case you don't know what a skip it is, it was a children's toy that was meant to attach at the ankle and spin 360 degrees while jumping over it. It was released by Tiger Electronics and designed by Avi Arid, who would use it to move forward in the toy industry and eventually develop the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So the skip it, again, if you grew up in the 80s, you remember this very well. This was a massive hit when it came out. I remember the commercials hyping the crap out of this thing, and pretty much every girl I knew had one. It wasn't limited to girls, though, at all, as everyone was able to participate and try it. As awful as I was, you still would give it a shot. It's such a simple idea, but those are usually the ones that are most successful. The story of the skip, it actually goes back to the 60s, but was relaunched in the 80s. So, Again, it was, if you remember the basic skippets, there's been different iterations of them that have come out over the years, but the basic 80s one was just essentially a long rope with a ball at the end of it. And then it had a small plastic hoop that would attach around the ankle and you could spin it around 360 degrees. The whole idea for the user was then you would see how many times you could keep jumping over it before you tripped yourself up. Again, newer models would have a counter which seems sort of insulting, insinuating that we couldn't skip and count at the same time, sort of like not being able to walk and chew gum at the same time. But we were a generation that grew up eating Play-Doh, so who knows? So the Skip was manufactured by Tiger Electronics and was considered one of the 100 greatest toys of all time by Time Magazine. This was a pretty ideal toy for a few reasons. The first thing was, again, it was a very simple toy, and that made it inexpensive. The next thing was it was challenging but had a low barrier of entry, meaning it only took a few times to get the hang of it. After that, you were pretty much an expert right away. The other big thing is uh, for parents was a couple things. First, that it was less expensive. So it was one of these big fads that every kid wanted that actually could probably get it because it wasn't you know going to break the bank. The other thing they liked, it was 
100% an active toy that promoted getting up and moving. So <laughs> you can check this out if you want, but I've read the original patents for the Skip It online, and their actual focus was on the physical aspect of the Skip It. The same way, if you weren't familiar, the Hula Hoop was invented to promote cardiovascular health. So in the patent, they state they are looking for the same health benefits <clears throat> that come from a Hula Hoop. Quote, the gyrations a player must make to maintain the toy at the waist region stimulates the cardiovascular system, increases physical strength, and generally improves muscle tone and coordination. I'm kind of surprised, actually, that they never incorporated <laughs> skip it classes in the gyms and fitness clubs. That might have been a missed opportunity. Another key thing they stress in the patent, and what makes it stand out from something like a hula hoop, uh, is the inclusion, again, when it would come out of a counter. So in, quote, again, in using such a toy, however, it is very easy to lose count of the number of rotations performed, as a result of which the user quickly loses interest. The fun of playing with such a toy, therefore, could be increased if the number of rotations could be automatically calculated rather than requiring the player or another to maintain a constant visual and repetitive count. I remember the ones, again, that didn't have the counter, and part of the appeal was everyone standing around counting out loud wherever that person was in their rotation to see if they could break whatever record or their previous record. So I think we we made it fine without a counter. So I mentioned the skip it goes all the way back to the 1960s. And again, actually goes back farther than that. Kids have been tr tying garbage around their ankles and swinging it for decades back into the 1930s. It was a very common thing. You just had to take a heavy object, tie a rope around it, and loop it to your foot. So like most things, you know, the skip it's not an original idea and has its origins with a similar product called the lemon twist or the footsie. It started in the 60s as companies started to manufacture these homemade toys and they started with two different versions. The first version of the footsie toy was a red ball-shaped object that had a bell inside that jingled when moved. It was tied to a two-foot plastic cord that was attached to a yellow ring which you would put your foot through to place around your ankle. This became popular in the late 60s and early 70s and became more of an activity sport that many people would partake in. It evolved into a group-type game with people doing tricks with the footsie and then seeing how long they could skip for and all that sort of thing. There was also the challenge of doing a single big spin and seeing how long it could keep rotating for. Chemtoy then introduced the Lemon Twist, which isn't a delicious sounding drink, but a new version of the footsie that had a plastic yellow-shaped object attached to a plastic loop that was placed around the ankle. The lemon contained rocks in it that rattled when the player would skip and jump over it. I, you, may, you might remember these. If you grew up in the 80s, you might have some flashbacks to seeing one of these things or like a neighbor who had you know, older kids or whatever that grew up in the 70s and they just left this thing lying around. And I'd never made the connection to the skip it till looking back on all of this. So you might remember those lemon twists. The Lemon Twist came out and was trademarked on December 29, 1975, and it rose also to fad status in a very short time. The, the Chemtoy Company is significant as well, as it's the company that brought us Mr. Bubbles, and they started out, not surprisingly, as a chemical supply company in Chicago that sold cleaning supplies. So the Lemon Twist is clearly you know one of the originators to the skip it but like all toys they tend to fade away from store shelves and memory and they get thrown out and they just you know 
they're out of the consciousness until another company remembers they were a hit and reintroduces them. It's like you'll probably see in 10 years with fidget spinners or something like that. Give it enough time and get it out of the public's mind and then you can reintroduce it. So we're looking now at Tiger Electronics. They started in 1978 and were founded by Randy Gerald and Arnold Rissman. They started out making low-tech things like phonographs and then would get involved in electronic games, which is probably how you remember them. Some of the big electronic games they had were that bowling game, those handheld ones. They did a RoboCop one, Terminator, and Spider-Man, which is important to remember. Tiger had a good thing going as their electronic games weren't super expensive and they were very easy to produce. Again, another toy that a lot of kids could have and access. They also brought us the iconic Furby and, even more important, were the creators of the Talkboy first seen in Home Alone 2. Tiger would eventually start hooking up with companies like Sega to make video games and you know, get more into that market. Eventually, they were taken over by Hasbro. The people who actually created the, or recreated the Skip It were Mel Kennedy, Maggie Harvey, and again, if you're familiar with Marvel Comics, Ari Avid. Before we had the epic Marvel Cinematic Universe, and it's hard to think of a time when Marvel didn't dominate all things in entertainment, but you go back far enough, there was a point in time where they Marvel was pretty much bankrupt. And if it wasn't for Arid, the whole thing could have completely faded away or dusted away after you know, after just negligence, um, not you know not staying on top of a, a property, not not nurturing it, not allowing it to grow, just letting it remain stagnant. So let's take a look at how Avi Arid is extremely important in everything to do with Marvel, MCU, comic book movies, the whole deal. He was born in 1948 in Israel and is the son of a Holocaust survivor uh, from Poland. He was big into Superman and Spider-Man growing up and moved to the U.S. in 1970 to attend Hofstra University. He had no dream of working in toys, but that was the first job he could get. He would end up working for Tiger Electronics, and along with Maggie Harvey and Mel Kennedy, they would come up with the Skip It. Thanks to some very great commercials, specifically on Nickelodeon, and strategically placed during some other kids' shows, the Skip It was a massive commercial success. If you remember these commercials, there was no way you didn't want to at least try this thing, let alone own it when you see these kids. You see kids having fun on TV, you want to have that same fun, and the Skip It was that perfect, desirable toy. So the Skip It is a huge, huge success. This gives Arad more clout as a toy designer, and his creations would be sold to many different toy manufacturers. So some of the things he had come up with over those years would include some of these we might be familiar with or not. My Pal 2, Troll Warriors. There was a child-sized Harley Davidson. He created the Zap It, the Disappearing Ink Gun, the Baby Wanna Talk, My Pretty Ballerina, and a ton of other dolls and toys. At the same time, he was considered the hottest toy developer in the business. Arid saw it more than just selling and making toys, but he considered himself to be in the entertainment business. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a 
happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. This allowed him to sign a deal to work exclusively with Toy Biz, a New York-based company that was founded in 1990. Toy Biz was 46% owned by the Marvel Entertainment Group. So here's an interview uh, from a New York Times article in 1993. Ard stated that his mission was, quote, to exploit the Marvel universe of comic book characters, which includes the X-Men and Spider-Man, in a synergistic network of toys, video games, films, and television shows. In 1993, he was talking about developing an animated X-Men cartoon show for Saturday mornings, and other future projects include a Spider-Man series and an X-Men film to be made by 20th Century Fox. So here's, like, looking back at, again, the bizarre idea that Marvel almost went bankrupt. So, go like, there's ups and downs, and at the very best, you know, in the 80s and going into the 90s, they were doing okay, which is bizarre to think of, that they just did okay. But things started to really go downhill in 1993. So before that, in 1989, Marvel was bought by billionaire Ronald Perlman. He got it for a very good price of around $80 million. And his thing was turning around dying companies for profit. He didn't care what it was. It could have been a coat company, a a company that manufactured plastic picture frames, children's toys. He didn't care. He That was his thing. He went, bought companies, turned around, sold them for profit. So uh, with him at the helm, he made Marvel pump out new titles and a ton of new comics. This worked at first as everyone was snatching them up and hoping they would be worth big money down the road. So if you remember the early 90s, you know, getting into the mid-90s, and there was that real boom of uh, sports cards, memorabilia, comic books. That was kind of like the golden age for that. You had all these new um, titles coming up. Marvel was partially responsible for this like big boom in this uh, market. So profits were up tenfold by 1991. The problem was pushing out so many titles watered down the quality and creativity of the comics, making them pretty awful. Marvel owned Toy Biz, as mentioned, and they had them also pumping out tons of toys and products. By 1995, the pursuit of all these profits with a lack of quality caught up to Perlman, and they lost $48 million that year and ended up $581 million in debt. Just And he had only bought this company two years before. That's how quick it started to go downhill. Everyone who was involved with Marvel and Toy Biz knew the future was in film, so they both merged together to form Marvel Studios. But shareholders thinking it would be too damaging for shares blocked the merger, or we would have had Marvel movies a lot earlier. So with that merger blocked, Perlman files for bankruptcy, and Arad and Toy Biz co-founder Isaac Perlmutter stepped in and bought Marvel. Arad and Perlmutter knew they needed to go the movie route, but since Marvel was just out of bankruptcy, they needed quick cash. So to get this quick cash, they did what could have been one of the most damaging things ever, and partially was, they started auctioning off the cinematic rights of their characters to Hollywood. The problem is comic book movies weren't seen as a sure thing, so Marvel would have to sell characters off cheaper than they had expected. 
if you look at an old movie like Superman that came out in the late 70s, that was a massive hit, but it was considered sort of a one-off. The sequels were so bad that everyone thought it was kind of a fluke and comic book movies weren't worth you know taking. Batman, the first Batman by Tim Burton would change that around as well too. But again, it was just seen as maybe kind of a one hit wonder and comic books as, you know, movie entities and properties just weren't, you know, worth investing money in. But, you know, these companies always want to have something in their back pocket. They want characters, they want intellectual properties. So it's worth owning a few of these things. So auctioning off those cinematic rights of the characters you know, was good for some quick cash because companies like who have a, uh, these studios that have a ton of money, uh, it's, you know, it's worth it. So the problem for <laughs> Aaron and Perlmutter is they didn't make a ton back on some potentially massive um, characters. In the late 90s, though, movies like Blade and the original Spider-Man were massive hits. But due to the very bad deals, Marvel only made fractions of a percent on the money they generated. I think for the Spider-Man movie, from what I read, they only made around 25 or $30 million against a movie that made, I think, close or over a billion dollars. So, again, fractions of a percent. This was proof, though, with Blade and the original Spider-Man that comic book movies could be huge. And Arid and Perlmutter were now sitting on a gold mine, but it seemed, it seemed completely inaccessible. In 2003... Marvel was about to sell Captain America to Warner Brothers and Thor to Sony Pictures. Arid and Perlmutter got on the same page deciding to make the movies themselves. They would get all the profit but could cross over many characters between movies the way they had been doing in the comics. So now they're all set. They've got a game plan, but still they don't have any money. By 2005, they finally got a deal with $525 million contributed by Merrill Lynch over seven years, but there was one big condition. Since they didn't have any cash, they had to put up collateral, and the only collateral they had was the movie rights to 10 main characters. Ard and Perlmutter were basically in it to win it, and with the money, they bought back the characters they had sold off that the other studios were happy to dump thinking they didn't have value, such as Black Widow, the Hulk, Iron Man. Again, this is hilarious to look back on that a studio would think who in the world would ever want to see a Black Widow movie, but we will be soon. So the first movie Arid would produce would cast a washed up train wreck actor named Robert Downey Jr. as a very obscure superhero in an iron outfit. And you know how the end of this story ends up. And now, depending on when you're listening to this, you've seen all the hoopla that's gone on between Sony and Marvel regarding Spider-Man and the immense value that are in these intellectual properties now. And, you know, it's kind of flipped around where Sony, who would still own the rights to Spider-Man, it was one of the ones they couldn't get back, has made Marvel a fortune and Sony, you know, not getting all the profits for something they technically own. So it you know, it's gone back and forth at the moment. Spider-Man is back with the MCU for a couple films, but who knows, depending on when you're listening to this, it just shows the value of these characters and how crazy it was that they were going to sell them off. And the funny thing is if like that, uh, you know, they had to put up those, the collateral of those 10 different 
Marvel characters. If those, if things hadn't worked out at the start or if Iron Man had been a flop or things didn't continue right, all those 10 different characters, again, like Iron Man, the Hulk, Black Widow, Captain America, everyone would have been split around all these different studios and the MCU as you know it would just simply not exist. So that brings us full circle back to the Skip It. And you just, you wouldn't think that this ripped off simple toy um, that was an iconic toy from the 80s would eventually bring us the biggest movie franchise of all time, but it did. If the Skip It hadn't become a huge success, Avi Arad would not have had the ability to develop other toys and allow his toy making genius to develop. This would never have made him a hot commodity and he never would have been recruited by Toy Biz and Marvel's We Know It Again would not exist. So the Skip It itself had another massive resurgence in the 90s and took off again. They would introduce electronic versions of it and they're still kicking around to get around today. I think there's a... I'm not sure the company, I don't know if it's still Hasbro or if it's called, yeah, it's Hasbro and they call it the Twister Rave. It's got flashing lights and 20 different levels. And again, like I mentioned that whole fitness thing, you can buy multi-packs of fitness-based skippets on Amazon that are, you know, actually really good for exercise. So you get nostalgia and health all rolled into one. You can, and you can find anywhere instructions to make your homemade skippet that might even be superior to the commercial version so if you ever see an old skip it or even even older its predecessor the lemon twist you know give it a moment of silence because of everything it brought us uh, regarding marvel and entertainment as we know it now so we'll wind down here and i want to give a shout out just speaking of comics and i have no connection to this but if you're interested in comics and the 80s there is a comic put out by scout comics called headless and it's set in Salem, Massachusetts in 1987. And the whole, the premise of it is that two teenagers have been found dead, brutally murdered, but not by a man. So when gruesome murders become a common occurrence in this little town in Massachusetts, and you're probably familiar with Salem and the Salem witch trials and everything like that, this is basically based around that there's evidence that the headless horseman has returned. So the story talks about two brothers who just arrived in Salem and now they find themselves in a centuries-old battle between the Knights Templar and the Headless Horseman. And so it takes that classic tale, but it sets it in the 80s and 1987. And it's really cool because it's this, the design of the book is like this two-tone style comic as far as the coloring where it's got a pink style color and a blue as well. So it mixes those together and creates like a very, cool tone and dynamic to the comic so you can again check that out at scoutcomics.com as of right now i think it's on its second printing so you should be able to find it in any comic book stores or any places like that so definitely check out headless okay so that's it for me thanks for checking this episode out again if you haven't make sure you subscribe wherever you find your podcast these days if you really like the show give it a rating review that way more people get to see it that's it for me talk to you later